Hi, everyone. Today I had an awesome podcast with Dr. Matthias Nordvig, and he is a professor of Viking studies, basically, and a lot of other things too, but basically everything Viking he is an expert on. So super cool podcast. If you like what you see, make sure to hit subscribe, maybe leave a nice little rating for us. You can also learn more about the podcast that I do and see more of my work on josephwriteranderson.com. <laughs> awesome, man. So just kind of quick uh, introduction. What uh, I know you're, so you're a doctor. Maybe tell, tell my audience what it is you do for a living over, over there in Colorado and what your specialty is. Yeah, so I'm a visiting assistant professor in uh, Scandinavian studies. And, and more narrowly, I, I teach subjects on the Viking Age, uh, Nordic mythology, Scandinavian folklore, Arctic culture and society, and a bunch of other things that, that have to do with that whole northern part of Europe and the North Atlantic. Awesome. And so what brought you to Colorado in particular? Um, the job, actually. Um, <laughs> as, <laughs> as a typical Scandinavian, I had very little knowledge about this whole area of the U.S. Mm. <laughs> before I came here. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, I, I applied for a, a, a position and, and then I got it. And then I was like, oh, better figure out where I'm going. <laughs> what kind of place <laughs> is that? <laughs> I mean, Colorado's awesome. I've heard a lot of good things about it, but I, I would imagine it's probably a bit different than back home in Denmark, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I really feel like I, I lucked out um, uh, coming here. Um, so in Boulder, we're, um, the town is right uh, by the, uh, the foot of the Rocky Mountains, and um, I live further up in, into the mountains because, you know, I... I arrived in Colorado and was living first in Denver and then moved to Boulder and I constantly was like walking around looking at the mountains and I was like, I, I, I need to go there. To go there. <laughs> um, so eventually I moved up here. Um, but yeah, that's of course the mountains are very, a very different thing from, from Denmark. Um, Denmark, like as a geographical location is um, made primarily of, of uh, rolling hills and uh, and farmland, so okay, um, yeah, it's a when I when I describe that to my students, I usually say like it, it looks like Iowa with a coastline and it's mm -hmm. just much smaller, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it gets pretty cold there, I imagine, right? Actually, uh, not so much. Like um, it, it, Denmark, you want to think of the climate there as uh, as similar to to what we like sort of culturally know here in the U.S. of like. Uh, England. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so 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 it's uh, it's similar type of uh, Atlantic weather. Mm. Um, sometimes you you do get uh, a little bit of the Russian cold coming mm. in from from Siberia, but but Denmark is um, fairly well protected, um, despite it being relatively you know high uh, latitude on, on on in a global sense. Um, mm. It's, it's uh, higher up than um, well. Any any part of um, of the well, the lower forty eight states, right? Mm. So yeah. Mm. 
Well, it gets pretty, pretty darn cold in the interior of the States. Cause I, I know when I was living in Pittsburgh, I would check the weather and it would be colder in Pittsburgh than it was in Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, the U S actually has pretty extreme climate in the, in that sense. I mean, it, yeah. it gets really cold here in Colorado too, once in a while. Um, of course we're blessed with this more Southern sun. So, um, that, that sort of, uh, access and, um, as like a, um, what do you call that? An equalizer. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the thing about Denmark and the rest of Scandinavia is that it gets like really dark. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you have, um, you know, in this, in the winter time, you have a big di- discrepancy between uh, light and, and dark. Um, that you know, Americans usually know from Alaska as a as a good example. Yeah. Alaska is, of course, farther north, but um, you get similar um, uh, discrepancies in in Scandinavia. Yeah, I've not experienced that yet because I've not been to Alaska and I've not been to Scandinavia yet. Although I, I probably will at some point. But what is that? What is that like? Do you is it so? Is it during the? Remind me. Is it during the? The sun is longer during the summer, and then it's almost not there during the winter, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, depending on where you are in Scandinavia, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Denmark it has longer days in in the um, in the winter time than, you know, for instance, Norway. Mm. But um, but yeah, there's a marked difference, and yeah, what is that like? It kind of really defines like the rhythm of life in a mm. sense. Um, I noticed that when I moved here. So I think Colorado in terms of latitude corresponds pretty much to like central Southern Spain. Mm. And I noticed, Oh, uh, we don't have this, the, those, uh, same like uh, discrepancies between light and dark. And, and then I, um, then I realized, uh, like in, in the summertime, um, I, I got all like jittery and energetic (laughs) (laughs) and that's something that you get up there in, in Scandinavia and also in the Arctic. Like when the light comes out, everybody is a lot more energetic Mm. than than they are in the winter time. And I could feel that for at least a couple of years living here, I could feel that that was like still ingrained in me, Mm. that expectation, Mm. even though that the, the differences weren't that big. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely part of it. You, you know, um, Scandinavians, as soon as, as soon as the sun comes out in the, uh, like May, June, uh, then yeah, everybody's outside, um, hanging out on um, lawns and the parks and, and so on. And in the wintertime, everybody is sort of like hunkered down and, um, and try to avoid human contact as <laughs> as possible. How do you guys kill time? Do you guys just like drink a lot of beer and play board games or? That's definitely some, something that some do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean like yeah, life in general is, is, you know, pretty similar to, to, to here in the U S um, you know, you go out with your friends, you go see a movie, mm. you um, go to dinner, you hang out with family and all, all that stuff. You take trips to different places, you go mm. camping. Um, yeah, and um, in the, in the wintertime, you go skiing. Um, in um, like the Danes, because we don't have any mountains, we, we either go to Norway or to Austria or Switzerland or, or France and, and go skiing. Um, some people also take a trip to, uh, 
one of the sunny islands down in the uh, Mediterranean. Mm. And yeah, so yeah, pretty pretty similar type of like rhythm of life as, as you know from, from here. And Colorado's big on skiing. Do you ski a lot there? Yeah, actually, so I never really got the chance to learn how to ski. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I'm a Californian, and even I, I've done that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like I haven't done it. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> just that I, uh, when I did it, I wasn't particularly thrilled about it. Mm. So, so the the background for that is that I mean, I I, I grew up um, part of my childhood in Greenland. Um, no way. Yeah, so that's a and that's a Danish territory. It's, okay. a, it's part of the Commonwealth of Denmark, and um, and it's a it's a similar situation as you find it in Canada, for instance, where um, you have people from the southern parts of Canada moving to Nunavut, where um, which is the uh, indigenous territory. Well, it is it is uh, sort of a state i guess mm. um, um of of inuit um arctic peoples and and people from the southern areas move there for a period of time and work in administration and 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 other um jobs like that and and the danes that's the same with the danes they um there's a lot of danes who go to greenland for a period of time and 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 do different kinds of work and then they moved back to Denmark and that was the case with my uh, my parents so yeah I, uh, I lived there as a as a child and um, most of the skiing that we did there was uh, cross-country skiing mm. and I found that incredibly boring <laughs> and hard right <laughs> I mean very taxing on your body I would imagine absolutely you know so <laughs> so it was a lot of like mom do we have to go any further <laughs> So that kind of took me off skiing, and um, and then you know, like I come here to Colorado, and I realized that I missed out on a on a on a big um, possibility right there for for a lot of fun. <laughs> but oh, I go snowshoeing instead, though. So oh, that's gonna be fun. I've heard that's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I love hiking and snowshoeing, and um, you know, just being out in the mountains and and in the woods around here. So do yeah. that a lot. I'm a big hiker as well. I love to hike. I love to, I mean, we have a lot of mountains out here in California. We also yeah. have a lot of skiing as well. And uh, mm -hmm. I found the first time I ever went skiing, I don't know what it was. I don't know. Maybe it's because of my um, Scandinavian Northern heritage that it just came out. It, it, like this, the skiing evoked it. I don't know. Cause I just hopped on the skis and I could do it like right away. It was the weirdest thing. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say the same thing for me, but you know, like I'm also a Dane, and we are, um, you know, um, the definition of flatlanders. <laughs> <laughs> so my my family came to America from Iceland and Sweden mostly. Mm -hmm. Does that does that make me like an an honorary Scandinavian sort of, or, or am I just an American? <laughs> I, I guess that depends on 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 who you ask. Like if you ask me, I, I say you can be whatever you want to be, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, there's 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 a lot of uh, uh, like communities and and families around here in in the U.S. that still, you know, retain some kind of Scandinavian cultural background. And, mm. You know, you have people who speak uh, heritage Norwegian, for instance, heritage mm. Swedish. Um, there's, there's plenty of towns all over, uh, especially in the Midwest, where you're like, as a Scandinavian, you're like, you're driving through and all of a sudden you enter this curious, like, 
alternate universe of Scandinavia. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of Scandinavian culture uh, still present in the U.S. That's interesting. So what are the, what are some of the biggest differences between uh, Denmark and the U.S. that you've been, you've been surprised by? Um, talking to people and being nice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is something that people do here that mm. we don't, <laughs> to put it in very categorical terms. So, yeah, no, I, um, and it's, it's actually a thing I, re I really enjoy about American culture. Like, uh, people will interact with you in, in public space in an entirely different way that mm. you experience in Scandinavia. Um, I mean, it's, it's even it's sort of become an internet meme phenomenon with like those uh, uh, Finnish people who are waiting for a bus and they mm. have like, I think it's between five and eight feet between each other and, and they're not talking. It's <laughs> all standing there like that. Whereas like here in America, you can, as a Scandinavian, I've found, you know, I, I can get my, my social interaction expectations fulfilled by just going grocery shopping. <laughs> you know, people talk to me and interact. And um, yeah, that's, that's the main, I think the main cultural difference. It's interesting. I noticed that as well when I, I was in England recently and it's kind of like that there too. People don't aren't as big on that there in England as they are here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, I think, you know, it's, it's usually friendly interactions too. And I, I, I think there's uh there's a certain quality to that, you know, um, mm -hmm. being, being open like that and being willing to share a little, you know, piece of your life, so to speak, mm -hmm. there's some complete strangers. I, I, I'm, I, Personally, I, I feel like I, I really enjoy it, even though I, as a Scandinavian who's, you know, accustomed to the situation where people aren't speaking to me, <laughs> mm, mm. I, I can also sometimes get a little flustered because <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I just want to check my mail, leave me alone. Something like that, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you get all awkward because somebody says something to you and you don't really know, know how to respond. And mm. so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, I, I think it's a uh, um, it's a really cool um, cool feeling though that that people are willing to to be more interactive that way here. I, mm -hmm. I guess some of, some of the reason for that friendliness I've read maybe you have another idea about this is because everybody came here they were immigrants they were new they had to kind of learn to get along um, maybe they didn't even speak the same language so they kind of had to be more outgoing just to kind of get along and survive and that might be kind of what created this culture of this comparatively outgoing culture compared to how it is back in Europe. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Um, so it, it's basically social capital. Um, being, being outgoing and friendly is, is the way that you show that you're non-threatening mm -hmm. um, in, in a society that where, where you don't have the same type of coherency and consistency in the ways that people act as mm -hmm. you otherwise do in those uh, cultures that all these people came from. Mm -hmm. um, you, 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 you show that, uh, you're willing to interact and, and this is of course, ultimately that's the kind of stuff that could get, land you a job. Yeah. Um, true. Uh, give you, you know, provide you a social basis, right? Mm -hmm. Um, churches have traditionally also been, uh, one of the ways that you could do that. Um, whereas like if you go to, um, you know, Scandinavia, I mean, uh, with the Danish population, um, 
I think it's pretty telling that about 60% of the Danish population lives within approximately seven miles of where they were born. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that means they don't travel around that a lot. And mm -hmm. also, I mean, they have their social networks are based off of family and friends and friends of family. Mm. Um, in in a in a in a very like tight knit sense, and yeah, that's definitely a big difference between. Um, I mean, some of my I have a lot of friends uh, who are not from Denmark, have lived in Denmark for uh, for a period of time, and you know, like getting a job is typically like this thing of like somebody contacts you because they know you. That's how mm. it works in Denmark, and and. Those of my, my, my friends from England, for instance, they, they talk about that as the Danish way of getting a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here it's totally different. It just depends on if you go to school or not or college or not. But if you turn 18 or you turn 22 and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, kid, go out in the world, find a job for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, but that also means that there's, uh, you know, there's a lot more openness to, um, you know, uh, people uh, like, for instance, in, in, in Denmark, if when you're applying for jobs, you could be in a situation where people would be scrutinizing your, your interest and willingness for that job um, more heavily. Mm. It sense is like, Oh, this job is so and so far away from where this person lives. Mm. Uh, we're not gonna, uh, you know, bring them in for um, uh, interview because they're probably not gonna want to move here anyway. Uh, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Whereas here, I mean, the, the, there's nothing conspicuous about you know being in California and applying for a job in New York or mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Usually, the employer is just thinking, how much am I gonna have to pay to get this guy out here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Different kind of thing. But it's yeah. interesting you said that, kind of to tie tie into our topic of the day, which is Vikings. That you mentioned that about the how so many Danish people live within prox close proximity to where their families were, right? And yeah. I noticed that when I was I was reading some articles about some Viking stuff, and then I saw that in England. I don't know what your take on this is, but in England, if you look at like the percentage of blonde, like blonde-haired people in England, it actually. Like Southern England is largely less blonde. Northern, I think like way higher Northern England is less blonde. But then if you look at the line of where the Dane law was, like where mm -hmm. they kept the Danish people, it's actually still largely like percentage wise, lots of blonde people in that area, which some people think might be because of the Danish influence, which is, to me is funny if that's true, because if this were America, you know, all those people would have moved around a lot. But it does kind of show how people in Europe don't have a sort of a different mindset about you know, where they move and sticking around and stuff. Yeah. I mean, the generally in Europe, I mean, we do have, of course, people are moving back and forth and around and so on, but, but yeah, there's the communities tend to uh, uh, retain some consistency in, in, um, in sort of like genetic uh, um, um, uh, relations mm. with their, the the people who used to live there in past times and yeah you can you can trace um, the Viking spread in the Viking Age in in different ways and mm. and definitely see an influence uh, for instance in in the eastern English parts mm. um, where yeah the percentage of the people there uh, um, or people there uh, tend to have a higher percentage of um, of Scandinavian um, um, have little uh, subgroups and that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the case. Yeah. 
It's very interesting. So speaking of which, so we're kind of talked talking about how people in Scandinavia these days, at least, tend to stick around somewhat around where they're from. So what I actually read an article a little while ago, and I'm not sure if this is the most current research about what started the Viking Age. I read, a, but I read a really interesting article about how some researcher thought by basically by investigating Viking burial grounds that it led that researcher to this idea that for some, that it might have been the case that the reason why the Vikings started out on their the whole Viking expedition that you know carried on for a couple hundred years that part of that was you can tell me if I'm wrong about this I think that back in those days the the Viking men or the, the Scandinavian men had to present something of what we know of a, as a dowry or something like that to the women and mm-hmm. that in order to, this researcher was saying, in order to woo a woman, basically, these Viking men or these Scandinavian men were motivated to go out and seek treasures elsewhere in order to bring those back and then basically get a wife. Do, is there any credibility in that? Or what do you think is the reason for why all of these Scandinavian folks decided to go out and raid and pillage? Um, so... There are multiple, like a plethora, pretty much of of, uh, of theories on mm. why why Scandinavians uh, took to the sea, so to speak, in that period of time. Right, and I I feel like, you know, with most of them, they 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 seem probable, and this one is one of those that's that seems probable. Yeah, you 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 have a situation probably. I mean, our, the problem with our source material for the Viking Age is that it's actually rather um, scant and problematic, especially when it comes to texts that can inf- inf- inform us on, on like the, the substantial parts of the culture. But if we, if we look at what, what we can sort of glean from the written material, it does look like that, you know, the oldest... Uh, son typically would inherit the farm mm. and that would leave the other uh, sons to go find um, their own life situation in another way. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, that could definitely be, you know, Viking pursuits um, and, and the possibility you have to think that I think about the, that, you know, Doing the Viking thing is a high risk venture, but mm. it can also have a very high risk, high high yield, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of, you know, um, playing the stock market of 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 back then, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the possibility to gain a lot of fame and riches from the Viking pursuit, mm-hmm. and that would, of course, you know, then lend you um, both land and a wife um, if you were to return or settle somewhere else. And so, yeah, that's 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 a very likely that that was part of the the, the cultural pattern and the reasons for why they they left uh, Scandinavia. And um, I mean, it's it's there 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 are many things happening. So from from around 500 and and onwards towards the Viking Age, there there's a lot of social change happening in Scandinavia mm-hmm. that, that that sort of all converge on that point where Scandinavians then have um, this militarily strategically uh, advantage um, of the Viking ships. They, mm. they are some of the best war machines at the time because of their agility and their speed. 
um, and the capacity for carrying a lot of um, uh, warriors. And so, so all that co comes together basically, and then you have um, an explosion of, of, of Scandinavians moving out into Europe basically. And in, in another way, what we're also seeing is that especially the British Isles are becoming more integrated into Scandinavia. Mm. Um, if, if we look at that classical uh, sort of definition of the Viking Age that we know from English um, history writing, mm -hmm. uh, it starts in 793 with the attack on Lindisfarne, and then it ends in, in 1066 with Harold hard rulers fall at Stamford Bridge. Mm -hmm. um, of course, this is not the full picture, but but it's a it's a good measure, so to speak, right? Yeah. From from that uh, late 700s period to the early to the middle of the thousands, what we're seeing is an integration of the uh, northern North Atlantic elite, basically. Mm. When Harold Hard Ruler in uh, um, fights Harold Godwinson um, at Stamford Bridge, we're dealing with two two people, two individuals who both have family claims to the throne mm. of England. Mm -hmm. And Harold Godwinson, who's known as the last Anglo-Saxon king, I mean, his, his mother is Scandinavian. Mm. Um, when, when Harold Godwinson then um, uh, is victorious and England then gets invaded from, from Normandy by Willem the Conqueror, Again, we're dealing with, with somebody who has roots in, in Scandinavia as well. Willem the Conqueror's family was um, originally Scandinavian. So it's sort of like cousins fighting cousins at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think, so Harold Hardruler, so I think a lot of people know him as Harold Hadrada, right? The mm -hmm. same guy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some people think that him going up there and fighting the English like that, that that helped lead to William the Conqueror's being able to basically clean the English's clock as well as he did. Is yeah. that, is that the case you think, or? I think so. I mean, we, we're dealing with a weakened, uh, um, power in England. Um, and so I, I haven't seen much research on this, but, um, in England, the, the Norman conquest is sort of, um, quite often represented as a, a French uh, conquest of mm -hmm. sorts. Yeah. But it's, that's definitely not what it was. It, the, the, the Norman conquest is, is a Norman, uh, hence the, the, the word, right? Right, right. Um, uh, which means that it's, a, it's, it's, it's something else than just French. It is, yeah. it, it is sort of its own identity. And one of the interesting things that you can see in place names after the Norman conquest is that you do have some place names that are being generated in England uh, in, in that time period where you have a French name um, and a Scandinavian um, suffix. Um, mm -hmm. so, like, for instance, the bu, uh, which is uh, very common in, in the old Danelaw area, um, by, uh, which means settlement or dwelling. And usually you have... Uh, a, a Scandinavian name like Thorkit or um, or something like that, mm. um, which then um, is combined with with that word for settlement, and and that is a word, uh, like a place name that still exists. But 
after the Norman conquest, you also have a couple of like robber bee and, and stuff like that, mm. that indicate Normans uh, w- naming a place with a Scandinavian uh, suffix. Now, I haven't seen a lot of uh, uh, scholars looking into that, but it, it, I personally think as a scholar that this is really interesting because uh, that would then mean that there is some kind of overlap between these Normans and the Scandinavians. And um, the question is, are they working together here or, or what is happening? Mm. The Normans were kind of descendants somewhat of Rollo and all that. And then Harald Hardrada or Harald Hardruler was a Norwegian guy. But also in the midst of all this, Denmark was pretty a pretty powerful force in that in that later Viking age. So they were... They had, at one point, they were in charge of, or ruled Denmark, they ruled England, they ruled Norway, and they ruled part of Sweden. What what was it that led Denmark to kind of rise as like the superstars of the Viking Age? I, I wouldn't, I would be cautious in, in terms of like attaching this to country mm-hmm. uh, as, as much as to king. So uh, the situation where we see in the Viking Age that England, Denmark, Norway, and parts of Sweden um, are, are like all under one rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be Knut the Great, right? Um, right yeah. And and he, I mean, we in Denmark we like to say he was a Danish king, and right. he did. He was the grandson of of Harold Bluetooth, who was a Danish king. Who I think Bluetooth uh, is named after, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> the the yeah, the, the device is uh, named after him. Um, and the little, the symbol is a bind rune that combines the H and the B runes. Oh wow! Um, uh, yeah, so I didn't realize that's gnarly. Cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, so you have Harold Bluetooth. He uh, is, you know, um, solidifying his uh, his Danish kingdom. Then his son Swine Forkbeard uh, rises up against him, and then once he has beat Harold Bluetooth, he he goes to England and conquers that. But uh, that's a short-lived conquest. He he manages to to stick around for what is it, nine months or something like that. Mm. Then he dies, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, Knut the Great um, has to basically you know reconquer England, and I think he starts in uh, ten sixteen and is only really successful in in uh, becoming uh, accepted as king um, in 18. Mm. And he rules from Winchester. Wow. Right? He's, so, so he's, in that sense, he's an English king more yeah. than he's a Danish king. He, um, his, like, his relationship to, to, to Denmark seems rather distant. Um, you can also sort of like, if nothing else, question the extent to which he has power in Norway. I mean, he does have some power in Norway um, and Sweden as well. And it's, that, that it's, it's all very iffy in a sense. And it's also, uh, the, the question is what, to what extent was he interested in, in this like North sea empire? Hmm. To what extent was he interested in being a comfortable English King? You know? hmm. um, and I think, I think, um, He's more on the side of like I am comfortable here in England, and and whatever happens over there is their problem, <laughs> mm. to some extent at least. But yeah, I mean, if nothing else, he was he was king over over this vast area for uh, for a period of time, and um, and yeah, he um, he seems to have managed to 
to create that situation from good tactics and um, the ability to he's, he says himself that he's king of um, or he rules over Danes, Swedes, and Norwegians. Mm. And scholars have debated: Are we talking about the actual like uh, areas, countries, or are we talking about people in his army? Mm. And either way, I mean, if 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 that is something that he was capable of, he's he's uh, he's very good at um, sort of negotiating his own position too, and um, you know, basically talking people into following him as well. So he he seems to have been a very competent ruler, at least for a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I, I was uh, it it, uh, it kind of seems like maybe then because if you look at some of the I guess some of the later accounts, like if you read some of the sagas by the Icelanders who talk about kind of like the Norwegian the the line of the Norwegian kings, for example, they talk a lot about this idea of like a Norwegian identity and these kings who want to unify Norway. So I wonder if that was really a motivation of theirs at the time, or if it was more of something the Icelanders, when they wrote these sagas, were reading into it, like maybe writing that theme into it, that that this motivation was to unify Norway and less of just a, a motivation to just have like a great kingdom. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I would not be surprised if any king sitting there in Suck, uh, in the western parts of Norway in the late 800s, you know, had a tendency to consider himself king of all of Norway. Mm-hmm. But I would also not be surprised if, uh, you know, <laughs> that was sort of a statement with a lot of modifications. Yeah. Um, in, 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 the, in the saga literature, we see, uh, we see tendencies that go in both directions. Mm. Um, where, you know, there's... Snorri Sturluson's Heimskringla, this the collection of, of, of the sagas of the Norwegian kings, presents this like a very neat progression of, of, of kings who are all related to the same dynasty. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, it is also very clear that you know the the Trondheim Mura area up north, um, where Trondheim is today, that they don't seem to fall in line with that Western Norwegian king that often. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of give and take here. And, and, and for a long period of time, it looks like we're dealing with a situation where, you, you know, you could be considered king sitting there in West London. But on the other hand, that, like your, your throne was fragile. You, you had to contend with very powerful earls and uh and chieftains um especially up north that could just as easily uh have tipped the scale and and then have been the king for a while mm. and that's the same with denmark and sweden um we we, we constantly like, we have to consider too that in this period of time we're dealing with you know People, uh, people don't have access to the same kind of media that we do today, right? So what does that mean? That means that, you know, if you are a ruler, it is, it is somewhat difficult to keep your people in line. Um, what we usually see is that dynasties in the Viking Age, they last for about three generations, and then somebody else takes over. Um, and then later on, you have history writers who 
who then collect all of this in a nice, uh, a neat little package that mm. leads up to the guy who has sponsored them uh, <laughs> in their contemporary times, right? <laughs> so speaking of speaking of the Icelandic sagas, uh, I know there's some recent research that's found. So I, I don't actually really know. I know that there's some guy named Floki, right, went and founded Iceland. And I don't actually know what caused a lot of the Vikings to go to Iceland. But I guess recent research has found that a lot of the original, a lot of the original settlers were not just Scandinavian folks, but also people with Celtic origins or people mm -hmm. from those like the British Isles, things like that. So do you, I guess what I always thought is I figured is that probably that's because they went around and like pillaged and maybe stole wives from these areas. Do you think that that's the main reason why there was these Celtic people there? Or do you think that these Celtic folks just came there on their own or what did that look like? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, so if I remember correctly, the, the most recent analysis of, of the early genetics of Iceland basically indicates that we're dealing with a 50, 50 split between Gaelic and Scandinavian. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we, there, there are plenty of Gaelic place names in Iceland. Uh, Patrick, mm. the other, for instance, the uh, Fjord of Patrick. Um, oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's in the uh, in in the western uh, parts of Iceland, and um, and so what we see during the Viking Age is that, and and in scholarship we sometimes refer to. Um, the, the Scandinavians that settle in the Irish and um, insular Scottish areas as, as Hiberno Nor Norse, hmm. so basically, or Gaelic Norse for that matter, as, as like a already sort of mixed identity of sorts. And that's definitely part of it. There's definitely a uh, overlap where you see Scandinavians and some of the, uh, the Gaelic populations in the British Isles mixing, intermingling in different ways, and then go to Iceland. Um, there are probably, or most certainly, uh, Gaelic people from, from Ireland uh, that, uh, and Scotland that, that go there on their own. Mm. And, and then there's also slaves. There are, there are um, wives and so on. Absolutely. Like, so so the, whole, the whole range, so to speak, and um, what we can see in the saga literature is that there are indications that there was some, you know, ethnic strife in, in the early um, um, culture of Iceland. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the, this usually, you know, appears in, in, in names. So it's, it's easy as a scholar of, of this field to see when you're dealing with somebody who, who has an Irish name as opposed mm. to a Scandinavian name in the sagas. Interesting. And, and yeah, and, the unfortunate aspect of that is that, you know, the, the, these Irish and Scottish um, in the sagas are usually, um, you know, uh, treated poorly, uh, basically, in the, in the literature. Kind of like in America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when the it's Irish like, first came to America, we just made them go, like, go fight in the Civil War for us. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, so, and that's, that's, yeah, no, that there's... Um, um, there's, there's definitely some kind of antipathy towards uh, the Gaelic uh, population, at least in the saga literature. Whatever that looked like, say, in the early 900s, I'm not sure about at all. Uh, but we can just see that over time, the Icelandic population becomes more and more 
Scandinavian. Mm, yeah. And and the saga literature also sort of like reflects this, um, yeah, some hostility towards um, the Gaelic peoples. They usually also, in the saga literature, um, the, a slave is usually has usually a Gaelic name, and then they're some kind of an idiot, basically. <laughs> they're sort of like the fool of the story. Mm. Um, so that tells you a little bit about prejudice that oh, uh, yeah. has been uh, present as well. How interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. But, I mean, what this also then tells us is that, you know, when we talk about Vikings in the Viking Age, we should probably expand our notion of, like, what kind of ethnicities could be involved with this. Mm. There was definitely, um, well, Gaelic people involved in these uh, Viking um, pursuits. Like, if we look at runestones, runic inscriptions from Denmark, you have people who are called uh, the Saxon. Um, there's a Danish runestone that mentions this guy Asir, the Saxon, who who died when he fought uh, um, in some battle. Uh, that's it's the the particular battle is not mentioned, but it says when when kings fought, and and th- those guys who are commemorating him on that runestone, and they they say that they, he he was a great warrior, and they uh, used to own a ship with him. Mm. So, that's like an example of somebody, uh, if they're called the Saxon, they're either either from uh, the Saxon parts of England mm. or from northern Germany, from Saxony in northern Germany. Interesting. Yeah, so, so, so they also have, you know, other peoples uh, involved. Later on, what we see in the, in the literature and uh, historical documents is that Scandinavians talk about Vikings from Estonia. Right. And, um, and so, so it's... The, the Viking phenomenon seems to be like a, as a broad cultural phenomenon that many different kinds of people partook in at different times. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess also as the Vikings went around and I mean, they, at one point they were Scandinavian folks going all the way over all around Europe, like even Poland and things like that. And they probably brought that with them and maybe, maybe people from those places kind of picked up on their way of life or joined their bands or whatever. That probably yeah. could have happened. Yeah, and uh, so, I mean, you could also look at this in terms of, like, cultural similarity. Right. So, so where are the main cuts of cultural similarity in Europe at the time? Well, um, to the extent that Scandinavians haven't been Christianized yet, um, mm. their cultural similarities would probably be more to the East than mm. anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, because these populations over there haven't been Christianized either, um, they live still sort of like in a, a, a you know, societies are organized sort of in a tribal way. Um, there's still a lot of uh, traditional elements present in these cultures. So they would probably uh, maybe feel a little more at home uh, over, you know, on the Balt- you know, the eastern Baltic coast mm. than, than in, uh, in France. Um where they would definitely be laughed at for the clothes they wore. And all yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, they, they, it would it would make sense that they share commonalities with um, uh, with the the peoples in the Slavic area. And I mean, we shouldn't forget that you know from from the Viking Age and onwards, it's a there's there's a lot of ties to the Polish area in general, especially in the Danish area. Um, Harold Bluetooth that we talked about before. I mean, he marries a a princess from 
um, what is now the northern German, northern Polish um, area, um, from from a the, a the the king of the Slavic peoples that live there. Yeah, and we see overlaps in different ways, um, different you know analysis of of uh, of remains, human remains from that period in in graves in in Denmark and Sweden and Norway indicate, you know, a relative. Not not big, but but a, a a consistent presence of peoples from from the Slavic areas as well. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of overlap in different ways. Have you seen uh, that new show on Amazon? I think it's called Vinland Saga. I have not. I've, I've, I so I know of it um, because it's um, as I understand it used to be a, um, a comic book. Right. Um, and and yeah, I, uh, over the years I have encountered it here and there, uh, but I can't say that I have uh, uh, sat down and and, I, and and read the comics or or watched the the show yet. Um, but it's definitely on my to do list. <laughs> yeah, it's on. Um, I don't know if you have Prime, but it's on Prime. And the, the reason I bring it up is just, there's this character that kind of reminds me of this whole idea of this. You know, there's it's not all just purely Scandinavian people involved in this because one of the main characters in there. Yeah. is actually he's half danish so his father was a dane and his mother was from wales she was like a slave from wales so yeah. he's kind of a viking but he actually himself identifies more with the wales folks so right. it's really interesting so he's kind of like he actually he spends his whole life doing viking stuff with his viking like his danish uh men basically kind of as their leader and then in the end he's it becomes apparent he's uh He's very much on the side of the the Welsh people and looking out for them. Ah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, and you could probably, you know, definitely have scenarios like that. Um, so, so for, for instance, when it, if we go back to Normandy as a as a place, it that's it's an interesting, you know, history. So it's founded in the nine eleven ish um, as a, as a as a incipient duchy i guess mm. basically rollo um whose nordic name would be hrolver or hrolleger uh is granted land and it's still very much debated where he came from did he come from denmark or did he come from norway and some different scholars will have different opinions on that but what is interesting is that um is it his grandson i think yeah yeah it's his grandson robert uh, he's 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 known as Robert the Dane, mm. um, and we see that um, that you know in those uh, three generations from from Rollo, um, and it could it could be, be his great grandson. I, I I'm a little iffy on that at this point, but uh, nonetheless, like in those like three to four generations, we are also seeing you know some some things that indicate ties to the Danish area. Um, interest in learning the Scandinavian languages and so on. So, so, so there's like these these Scandinavian migrants have come to northern France and then they started assimilating. They've of course gotten baptized immediately. Mm -hmm. They started assimilating, but they also seem to express some kind of genuine interest in in their Scandinavian heritage. Mm -hmm. um, whatever role that played for them, I don't know. But but it's just interesting to note. Oh yeah. And in the same way, you also see in the Russian area, we have, you know, the kingdom of Kiev is is established by uh, Scandinavians, at least according to, to to the early history writers. And 
Um, and we also have, you know, a lot of uh, back and forth between Scandinavia and um, the and Kiev and Novgorod as well, um, farther north, uh, throughout the Viking Age and the early medieval period. And I think there's a, I think it's a Saxon missionary who, um, at one point, he's he's traveling in Russia and and he reports back that the area is teeming with Danes and runaway slaves. <laughs> <laughs> How funny! Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting that there's like um, it, it it seems like these these Scandinavians they 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 go like over there in the Russian area and and. They must have had a, a, a pretty considerable impact on the area for, for at least a period of time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, you can subscribe or you can visit josephwriteranderson.com, sign up for my newsletter, get all of my latest content sent directly to your inbox each and every month. Next time, we are going to be doing an interview with an awesome person about social media and being an influencer. So stay tuned for that.